welcome to Doing the Work, Frontline Stories of Social Change, where we bring you stories of real people working to address real issues. I am your host, Shimon Cohen. Thank you to FIU's Disability Resource Center for providing transcription services. In this episode, I talk with Don Brown, who is a social work educator and the legislative chair of the National Association of Social Workers, Florida Chapter. Don talks about activities and strategies social workers can use to engage in legislative advocacy and how NASW Florida has a big event called LEAD, Legislative Education Advocacy Day, where they bring social work students to the Florida Capitol once a year to meet with lawmakers and attend committee hearings. We talk about the importance of voting, especially this November, and what is on the line. Dawn shares what voting means to her as a black woman and stresses that voting is important at all levels of government, national, state, and local. She explains that voting is just the beginning and that we need to hold elected officials accountable, build relationships with them to push for a social justice agenda, and support candidates for office who are aligned with the goals of racial, social, and economic justice. She also talks about how she got into this work. I hope this conversation inspires you to action. So before we get into the episode, I'm so excited to tell you all about this episode's sponsor, Designs by T. T is a Brooklyn-based social worker who's created a line of t-shirts and accessories to disrupt places and spaces and the fashion industry. This t-shirt line is doing what no other social worker has done before, fusing creativity with art, and she's managed to create a local buzz. She gives 10% of all sales towards purchasing essentials for children and families in a local shelter. She's got a social work collection, a socially conscious collection, a royalty collection, a kids collection. You've got to check her out. At Designs by T, that's T E E, designsbyt3.com. Check out the link in the show notes and take $5 off your next t shirt order with the code TPOD5. That's T E E P O D and the number 5, TPOD5. And now, here's the interview. Hey, Don, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on here. Let's just jump right in. And if you could talk a little bit about what you currently do. Absolutely. I'm currently a social work educator, but what brought me here today with you really is my role as the legislative committee chair for the National Association of Social Workers, Florida chapter, NESW Florida. In that role as legislative chair, I have this fortunate, I I would say it's grateful, I feel, opportunity to serve in this capacity. In the state of Florida, we have about 18 different units that make up the state. Each unit has a different, more or less, each unit has a different legislative chair. Um, But also within the legislative committee, we house the Child Welfare Task Force. We also have the Social Work Licensure, also known as the 491 Board Committee. We also have the Immigration Justice Task Force. And we also do have what we uh, call is LEAD, which stands for Legislative Education Advocacy Day. And that is where we plan and we work with the 14 schools of social work 
around the state to have our students come up to the Capitol to meet with legislators, to attend committee hearings, and to really turn what I consider theory into practice and to be able to advocate for the clients we serve, the individuals, families, communities, but also for our profession. And so that's what I do outside of being a social work educator. And that's the work that really has, that fulfills the passion that I have. It's really important work. And I'm so glad that, you know, I've gotten to know you through the Immigration Justice Task Force and and NASW Florida as a whole, and, you know, learn from you and work together. And that's really why I wanted to have you on here. You know, this is going to, this is going to be the October episode, October, right after October is November. And we all know what's happening this November. We have, you know, a major, major, major election that's happening. And I know we're going to get into legislative advocacy as well as we talk in the, you know, right now, but can you kind of talk about like, what is at stake in this election? Yes. Uh, it, 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 I, I, I'm one, I appreciate you having me on, um, to be part of your podcast and doing all the great work that you do. And like you, I've appreciated your experience, your wisdom and your passion to get to know you through the immigration justice task force. What is at stake in November are people's lives. Like, I don't know if there's another way to put that because I understand some people don't recognize that, but we understand that from a policy perspective, it is imperative that we have policies that do good and don't do harm. Unfortunately, we do know that there's policies that disproportionately do harm to black and brown folks in our communities that disproportionately do harm to folks who are identified as immigrants in our community that disproportionately do harm to folks who identify within the LGBTQ community and do harm to all other marginalized populations. And so if we do not have and go out there to vote and make sure that our elected officials, and let me say this, elected officials at all levels, I know a lot of focus is on the national level because absolutely that does matter, but we also have to make sure we get out and vote at the local and state levels because those are also policies that impact the ability for people to thrive because we want folks to thrive, not just survive in this world. We want to see the well-being of folks um, actualized in this world in a way that everyone knows that they belong. And not just that everyone knows that they belong here, but that they are interwoven within all parts of our society and that their rights do matter. And we need to ensure that at all levels of office, there are people in office that will advocate and work to make that happen. Yeah. And I want to get into all of that. You know, I think because it's an election, right? We think about voting. You know, we think about um, the importance of voting. There's people who are saying they're not going to vote. And there's also systemic disenfranchisement, right? Voter suppression that, that's happening. So can you talk about, you know, the importance of voting and what voting means and what voting means to you too, personally? Absolutely. I, I think that you, you, you spoke on a few different things there. Uh, we have to find a way to get folks to understand that their vote does matter, which means that we have to find a way that we do not utilize voter suppression tactics and we allow everybody to vote. 
Um, for instance, right here in Florida, we know that based on Amendment 4, folks that were um, that were previously incarcerated were going to be able to vote. And then there were some challenges in the court system with that. And now you have organizations, thankfully, organizations like the Florida Rights Restor- Restoration Coalition, the Southern Poverty Law Center, Law Center, and a few others working to make sure that those folks can vote, that those votes matter. And so these are the things that matter, right? So if you were part of someone who voted for Amendment 4, and now you see that being challenged, I understand why we sometimes question whether votes do matter. But let me say this today and say it very clear. We need everyone to go out and vote. We need everyone to make sure that they exercise that right. And I I believe it needs to be a right for everyone to vote. And we also need to make sure we hold folks accountable if they are trying to take away those rights, or they're trying to make it harder to vote, or they're trying to close polling locations so that folks within communities where there is not transportation or reliable transportation have a harder time to get there, where they try not to have mail-in ballots, things like that, we need to advocate for so that people feel they can fully participate in the voting process. There is no time like now. Voting means the world to me. There was a time that someone that looked like me as a black woman could not vote. So I don't take it lightly that there is a right that we need to ensure everyone has to be able to hear their voice be heard through the voting process. I don't take it lightly that people fought, went out to register, and really put their lives on the line, literally, so that I could have the right to vote. And I also understand, so I want to, you know, in social work, we talk about meeting folks where they're at, right? Mm -hmm. And so let me meet some people where they're at. There's some people out here who I recognize, they feel, oh, if I vote, I'm just one vote, it's no big deal. Or they might say, well, there's no candidate that I feel really speaks to me. Those things do happen. There's no candidate that might speak to someone Here's what I'm here to say. We need to get out to vote. We will not see a change in this world by not going out to vote. We need to make sure people's voices are heard. And not only that, when we put people into office, we need to ensure their accountability. That means everything that you ran for in a platform, how are you going to make this happen? And that also means that the, it doesn't end on November 3rd after the vote is cast. Actually, that's really the beginning of what we're going to try to hopefully see for when it comes to office for other people. That's really just the beginning of where we have to look at how do we make sure that folks are held accountable for what they said they were going to do. And so I, I do understand people feeling with disenfranchisement, feeling that their vote doesn't matter, feeling that there's, there's no perfect candidate, as some folks will say. Here's what I'm asking folks to do, though. Get out there and vote. It, it, is, it means the world, you know, I, I say this t- not lightly. The world will be different for my nieces, my nephews, someone's children and their grandchildren, depending on who we vote into office. And it's not only for the four years or the two years that someone's in office. There's a generational impact when it comes to who can appoint things like judges to to offices. There's a generational impact for communities long after that one vote. So please make sure folks get out there to vote. I recognize the challenges. I recognize some of the disheartenedness with the voting process, Um, but I also recognize the importance of the vote and why that matters. 
Yeah, it it's everything you're saying is so powerful and so important, you know, and I mean, for me with this election, you know, as far as the presidential election, I mean, the bottom line is Donald Trump is a white supremacist. He's a racist. He's a sexist. He's an absolutely horrible person and he needs to go, period. And as far as Biden and Harris and their agenda, like at least that will provide the opportunity to put some things in the right direction and build on changes that came before. And then hopefully they can get pushed, you know, for a more progressive agenda as well. So that's kind of like when you were saying, this is just the start, you know, I think that really leads into like the work you do, right? With the legislative chair position. Um, So in social work, even though policy advocacy, you know, social justice work is at the core of what we do, it can be confusing for people. I hear this from social workers and students that they don't understand how it works. It's overwhelming. So break it down for us, Don. How do we advocate? How do we hold elected officials accountable? How do we push at a policy level for the changes we need to see to have the kind of world we want to live in, where we have racial, economic, and social justice? That's a really good question. And um, I hear that question a lot myself. It's how do we, as social workers, move everything that we talk about from our code of ethics, from the core of what we do, into the political arena? Um, I think there's many ways that we can do it. And actually, I think that we are very well suited um, through our social work education, through our commitment to helping others and working with others. I think that's another key piece here is that our, our commitment has to be working with people, not just being there to show up. Uh, we often hear of this kind of the savior complex, and I, I, don't, I don't like that. I think it's important that we work with communities that we listen to communities and what their needs are and that we are well suited because that's what we're supposed to do at all levels of practice. As social workers, one of our tools in our toolbox should always be active listening, active learning, and also be willing to have some of those mirror moments, which allows us to understand how our own identities play a role in the work that we do. And so as far as it goes to advocacy, I really encourage folks to look at that at all levels of practice. So yes, we have right before us, I would argue, and I argued in a a newsletter entry the other week, I would argue the, the most important election of my current time. And I would say that it's imperative that we do advocate at the macro level. And how we can do that is by using skills that we learn from the micro and the meso level. So that means we need to be able to listen and be willing to learn, and also be willing to then go out there and become educated on the issues at hand. And so the same thing that we do in the classroom, the same thing that we do hopefully in clinical settings, where we we provide this space and we hold space for others to tell their stories, I always say one of the, the um, ways we can honor people who come to us and tell their stories at some of the hardest moments of life is by advocating not only for them to survive, but to thrive, but also advocating for change. And so we can do that by one, getting to know who our elected officials are, 
We need to find out who's out there. We need to do that even before they're elected. It is much easier to work with folks who are elected that speak and reflect our values than it is to work with folks who do not. And this is not to say we don't work with people who don't, who don't reflect our values because there are, it's a possibility some folks might change. It's a possibility that they might be in support of one issue, but not in another. But I also say another way we make this happen is I encourage social workers to run for office. I think it's important that we have folks that are at the table that are making policies that come from the core of what we believe social work to be. As you said, I I believe you had said, is looking at racial justice, is looking at dismantling bias within our system, looking at making sure that everybody has a seat at the table. And as far as I'm concerned, if the table's not big enough, you either get a big table or you just break the table up so everybody has a seat around in the circle and can actually participate in this political economic process that allows us all to grow. So you said so much just there. You know, I think one of the parts that really resonates with me that you said is, you know, obviously it's easier to work with people with elected officials and just people in general who are more like aligned with our values, right? Mm -hmm. But we've got a situation where there are large majorities of elected officials who do not. You know, I write letters to my elected officials and I get their responses back. And, you know, I could basically, before I even send my letter, can guarantee what, or my emails, I can guarantee what the elected officials who don't see, you know, who are on like so-called the other end of the spectrum, Mm -hmm. I guess, Mm -hmm. to say, I already know what they're going to say because it's always the same, you know, and it doesn't seem like there's any movement there. And I think it can feel like the only solution is to get them out of office, which then takes like mass mobilizing. So I just, I just wanted to kind of, you're working with elected officials all the time. How do you navigate all that? Well, I I think one of the things that we have to do is understanding, like you said, there are those differences that exist. I mean, that is the unfortunate reality But I think the fortunate reality for us as social workers, to be honest with you, is, you know, there's oftentimes we might sit across from someone who we don't agree with, but we do in a capacity when they're our client. Um, I would say, and I would advocate for us to use that same skill that we encourage so many people to do is to build and cultivate relationships. So for example, in Florida, We have a 60-day legislative session, usually either from January to March or March to May, depending on whether or not it's an election year. But that means that there are actually 10 other months that we could be building rapport with elected officials. That means that when folks aren't in the meetings, when they're not having to go from meeting to meeting, committee to committee, and um, have their 60 days really tied up with thousands sometimes of bills that have been introduced, We can be meeting with folks in their legislative office, in their local offices, to get to know them. We could be meeting with folks during their delegation meeting times, which is before the legislative session. We could be attending their their session town hall wrap-ups. We could be inviting them to spaces that we navigate through so that they can see about the work that we do and how as social workers we can actually be 
um, really good allies in some of the work that they do. And so I think we have the opportunity, if we can find that one or two issues, and I'm not going to say it's, I'm going to be very real about the fact that it's not going to be every issue for some folks, for a lot of folks, actually, it's not going to be every issue that we line up on. But if we can line up on someone who believes in the the, the value and honors children, okay, can we work with that person on one bill? If we can believe, work with somebody who really is passionate um, about making sure we ensure folks are safe and folks that um, are involved in, say, domestic violence are held accountable, we can work with them on that. If we have someone, one of the biggest things here in Florida that I, I hope one day we can change, if we can have someone who looks at juvenile justice and the um, and um, moving children into adult court, um, prosecutorial discretion. If we have someone who believes in that because they do believe in criminal justice reform, but they might not believe in everything else, well, we might have to start and meet folks where they're at too. So I do agree with you. Yeah, there's times that we want to elect folks who definitely are in line and aligned with our values. That's our hope and our goal. But it doesn't mean we can't work with folks and try to work with folks who aren't aligned. Um, it's definitely harder. And we can try. And sometimes if we don't succeed, then we are looking to see if there's somebody who's running against them who we might actually support more. But it doesn't mean we can't try. And I think that that's, that's the piece that um, we know that's the hardest to do, sometimes the most frustrating to do, but actually can bring about the change that's needed. So us being able to try with those folks who who aren't fully aligned with us, but they're aligned with one part of what we do. We can start there. Cool. Yeah. I mean, meeting people where they're at is always a good strategy. It can just, at the same time, with pull it with this stuff can be frustrating, right? Mm-hmm. Because while we're busy meeting people where they're at, people are getting harmed. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't think we can overlook that. Don't get me wrong. But I, I think we also have to be real about certain things. I, I, I don't believe if, if one person gets harmed, that's one too many. I will say that for sure. And I do believe that we continue to have policies that undergirding might have um, some sort of spaces that are extremely unjust, particularly to certain populations. When I was talking about the juvenile justice piece, we know disproportionately black and brown children are the ones that are that are sent to adult court. That's problematic. We know the difference between um, trying to give folks an opportunity and a chance. And when you when you send someone to adult court as a child, you're almost taking away all those chances. And so, yes, I completely agree that when we look at some of these things, um, the consideration of meeting someone at where they're at can cause more harm to some than others. I also do think this is that in some cases, that's what we have to originally work with. It doesn't mean we can't change things, but if that's what we're working with, can we cause some change in the meantime? But if not, we can't, then we need to look, we, we continue to align with those other folks who align with us. That's not going to change. We'll stay marching in that order. But at the same time, if we can change someone, I say, let's, let's try to do that. If we can get folks to understand why it's harmful, why it's unjust, what does human rights look like, and why the policy that they're supporting actually goes counter to that, then I think that we can try to do that. But in the meantime, as I said before, if folks don't change, then we need to look at changing who's in office. 
Yeah, I mean, the fact that they are in office, we got to work with what we've got at the same time, right? We got to work with those who are in office, like you're saying, because they're the ones there. And then hopefully, well, not just hopefully, like that a movement can change who's in office, you know, to more progressive agenda. Absolutely. I think there's a reality to um, how can we find a way to do both, right? Because if we know there's somebody who we want to bring into office, like let's work on getting those folks elected, right? Let's work on campaigning for those folks. Let's work on cultivating these leaders. And this is at all levels. You know, I think we spend a lot of time, as we should, don't get me wrong, on the national election, but we need to also be mindful of local and state elections. We need to be mindful of school boards. These are all places that folks might get their start when it comes to campaign or elected officials. We need to work with all of those levels and be mindful of that. And so, yes, I completely agree. The energy that it takes, the disappointment that folks feel. I mean, the fact is, uh, particularly in the Florida legislature, you know, we had at one time, I think it was almost two or 3,000 bills that were submitted. There's no way in 60 days those bills are going to all be heard, right? So we mm. know, um, as I mentioned earlier, when we do things like LEAD, Legislative Education Advocacy Day, it is extremely disappointing, extremely disheartening, and in my appointment, unjust. Some of the bills that we continue to go up there to advocate for year after year. And so that's problematic on many different fronts because we know the communities that are being unfairly harmed continue to be harmed as long as we have policies in there that do not treat them fairly, do not have equity, and are not just. So I I definitely agree that there comes a point where we can't just sit on the sidelines. We can't just keep meeting people where they're at. And we have to do more than that. And that's why I think on many levels, it's not just getting folks in office. I, I encourage social workers. We have some great social workers out there who are in elected officials. Let's find some way to keep doing that, too. It's a lot easier if we already have a candidate in an office who aligns with the work than when we don't have someone who aligns with our work and our values. Yeah, absolutely. You know, here in Miami, we might end up with hopefully a mayor, Daniela Levine Cava, who is a social worker and has done years and years of hard work in the community and made that transition into political office. She actually was interviewed on this podcast some time back and was before she had announced she was running for mayor. So, you know, that that's a big election coming up too. You know, shout out to Daniela. Hopefully anyone in Miami listening will, will vote for her. I want to get that in there. Absolutely. I think that's imperative. So if we can have someone like a Daniela who's in office, who's a social worker, who's not only, and I don't say social worker by name just because we're a social worker, I'm saying social worker by the work and the effort that she has provided within the communities. And so that's what we need. We need someone like a representative Karen Bass out in California who's doing lots of great work to make sure that we're holding people accountable, um, everyone from this current administration on. We need folks who are going to speak up and speak out. You know, I think that that's that we need folks who are going to be able to build relationships and then also unapologetically speak up for those who have been unfortunately harmed, but also providing space so those communities can feel empowered to speak up for themselves and that they have a voice and they have they have a chance at the table with everyone else. Yeah, for sure. I wanted to ask you if you could share a success story of your work doing legislative change? That's a good question. Um, let's see. I would, uh, to tell you the truth, 
I think the biggest success we have collectively, there's, there's two things I'll speak on. Um, one was a little bit before my time in this position, but I was in a local position. Um, a while back, there was a Senate Bill 1666 that was passed, and it was a bipartisan support. Um, and I, I will give a shout out to my predecessor, um, David Brown, who actually did a lot of work along with NASW Florida to help make that happen. Um, and that included different representatives from different sides of the aisle to say that social workers were important and that in, in certain areas we needed to make sure that when we're working with children and families, we had a certain percentage of social workers that were hired. At the time, I believe it was they were looking at about 50%. I don't believe we're there yet, quite honestly, in working with children and families. But what they did say is they valued the education, a social work education that would make a difference in the life of children and families. And so while those are some folks, whether it was Representative Gail Harrell um, and I think it was Matt Hudson, folks who were on different side of the aisles at the time, who still saw the value of making sure we were providing safety and um, security and good homes for children and valued what social workers brought to that experience. Uh, so that was a really good one. The other thing that I do I think is imperative is the work that we do collectively I would say with LEAD, um, the, the value that we have in Legislative Education Advocacy Day, to be honest with you, there's nothing like going into that room, as you might know, um, going into that space and finding between 850 to 900 social work students, practitioners, and educators up at the Capitol out there trying to make a difference. And so when the success for me in that value is how many students, whether it's Lions students or other students I talked to during the time that say they were afraid. They didn't know what to do. As you mentioned earlier, a lot of social workers are like, well, how do I make a difference? Or I don't know. Will the legislator listen to me? But by the middle of the day, when I'm passing people in the Capitol in the hallway, you see people smiling and coming up to me saying, hey, I met with Senator so-and-so. I met with Representative so-and-so. And they want us to meet when we come back to our local area. Or they listen to what I had to say. Or there's nothing better than saying, like, I was able to tell the story that I was told, and they listened, and now they want me to follow up on what's going on. And I have to tell you, there's countless stories for that. And people, in the way that they feel empowered, and the way that those social work students in particular, quite honestly, feel like they are part of the process. We often talk about theory, but the one thing I love about the profession that I say chose me, which is social work, um, is that we have this ability to actually do more than theory. We turn things into practice. We turn, we turn things into action. And when you see that energy of folks, and the students not only meet with representatives and legislators, let me say this, Shimon, they also go to committee hearings. They, we've had students who have testified at committee hearings on behalf of a bill. We've had students who've gone across the street to the Supreme Court to hear different hearings. Like one, one year, a few years ago, the constitutionality of the death penalty, of which did make a change um, after that, that, those hearings that were going on at the Supreme Court there. So those are the success stories that really speak volumes because people have been able to stay connected. I give an example, a student stayed connected with a legislator um, within our area, and she's gone back to that person well after leave. This is going on almost two years later to, to be part of what they're doing. And so those are sort of the success stories that really speak volumes because the goal, one of the biggest goals that I have, obviously, is change. We want to see legislators vote on behalf of bills that are equitable, 
that are just and that make a difference for these communities that so far have unfortunately been disenfranchised and suffered the most. Um, But I also love seeing the energy of folks feeling that they have the power to make a difference and to make a change. And because that is what really matters also in our profession, those are some of the success stories that I I definitely hold on to because that energy from the two days of lead, uh, we don't get much sleep, uh, but it's a lot of great energy. And the, the, the reality is those folks leave feeling empowered that they are on this world and this earth to make a difference. And it's not to just make a difference in the little area they are, but to make a collect individual and collective difference um, for the lives of so many others. And so that to me is a success. Yeah, that is, those are some great stories. And yeah, I agree getting that real in-person experience. I wish, you know, I had that type of experience when I was a student, you know, it sounded, I mean, Because you can have, I think we did like a congressional hearing, like a mock congressional testimony type thing that we did in class. But that's totally different when you're going and really doing that, you know, in person with real people. And it, like you said, it builds that confidence because people are confused about how all this works, you know. So to actually be able to do it is amazing. Now I want to ask you how you got into this work. That's a good question. Let's see. You know, I... I don't know if I had just this very clean path that got me here, Um, but I definitely feel that I have always been passionate about issues much larger than myself. I'll say that. Um, I say I have always felt that, um, you know, growing up in a space in a world in my own life uh, where, where I have seen injustice, when I have felt injustice, has really made me want to not only fight for folks who look like me and have lived experiences like me, but also fight for those who don't. I wanted to fight for folks who might live differently, who might love differently, who might pray differently, because they have the right to do that, actually. And I think that we live in a world all too often that, you know, difference separates, whereas I don't think that has to be the case. I think that it's imperative that we advocate for the, the um, elevation of folks to be who they are and to represent who they are and to um, be in a world that allows them to live their life and honors their life with true justice. And I would say for me, you know, growing up, I had several different experiences that just reminded me or the world wanted to remind me that as a black woman, I should not be in certain spaces. And I'm, I'm just grateful for parents and other folks who reminded me that I should be in any space that I wanted to be and that that's how I was raised to be. Mm. And so I think that I've always taken that passion with me to say that we need to advocate so that folks feel that they belong in spaces in this world, even if they've never been in that space. You know, there's nothing more infuriating for me, quite honestly, is when I enter spaces um, or areas where, say, there's pictures on the walls of, you know, former CEOs, presidents, and things like that, and I don't see anyone who looks like me. Mm. Um, and it, for me, I think it's just problematic because we have a world that's just so beautiful and so diverse that there should be no space where that diversity does not exist. And so... I think that I've just always felt the need to advocate for change. I've always felt the need to advocate for, advocate against, I'm sorry, to advocate against injustice. 
And I, I really have, once I decided to go back to school to get my master's in social work, I had been in higher education in other realms before. Once I became, come back to social work, even though I went to a clinical program, um, I, and I, I don't regret that. I, I actually am happy I did that because what I have learned is that those clinical skills are transferable in many areas in a macro setting. And so I just started getting really involved in more legislative policy work. Even amongst a sea of clinical classes, I had to find my way to, to really find that, to, to kind of find ways to get that passion and advocate for that. And for me, that was through NASW. I have to be very honest that, you know, NASW Florida, um, I've had this uh, special relationship with, I'll say, in the sense that, you know, starting out as a student rep and then a state student rep and then moving on as a legislative chair for the, the unit that I was in. And then finally, um, moving forward and being promoted to the legislative chair for the state. And all along, I think the passion that has kept me going is just knowing that, listen, we have not arrived where we need to be. We have not arrived where we can be. And so that means advocating so that folks can and feel they can make a difference. And so that we do not continue to have policies, practices, and procedures that disproportionately represent any group. And unfortunately, we know often those groups that are disproportionately represented are marginalized populations. And to me, until that can change, we live in a problematic space. Don, that was so powerful. You know, your story, your dedication. I've seen firsthand the work you do. I want to thank you so much for your time, for coming on the podcast. And I want to thank you for doing the work in the community. Thank you so much, Shimon, for having me on here. Thank you for all that you do. Um, I appreciate you allowing me the space to be on here with you and to talk about the work that I do, um, most importantly, the work that I do at NASW Florida. Um, and I would just say, lastly, to kind of leave folks with, if it's okay with you. Um, of course. Is just, just two things as we head into... Uh, an election in a, less than two months, about a month and uh, some, a little bit more now, I really want to encourage folks who are listening to go out and vote. I understand there's a lot of folks who question whether they should or whether they could. Or, I want folks to go out and vote like they've never voted before. I want folks to go out and vote like their life depends on it, because I'll tell you what mine does. So does my, of my nieces and my nephews and of my friends. So please go out and vote. The other thing I want to remind folks to do is to please, if you have not already, complete your census. That matters. We only get that opportunity every 10 years. Please go and complete your census. That's very, very important. And if you happen to be listening and you're in the state of Florida, I encourage you to check out neswfl.org because there are lots of great things happening about the election. Actually, grateful to hear to Shimon. Um, we have this great competition going among schools to get people out there to encourage them to vote. So, Shimon, thank you for doing the work, and thank you for all you do, and for letting me share some space with you this evening. Thank you for listening to Doing the Work, Frontline Stories of Social Change. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please follow on Twitter and leave positive reviews on iTunes. If you're interested in being a guest or know someone who's doing great work, please get in touch. And thank you for doing real work to make this world a better place. Oh, 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 o